Welcome to the Rock Christian Church podcast. Today's message is Conquered, the second message in the Called series by Pastor Sean Wood. May we have eyes to see, and Lord, may we have ears to hear this morning. What do you have to say to us? Your word is living and active. It is your word that created the heavens, the earth, the universe, and all that we see and know. So we know there's power in your word, and we thank you today that as we sit under your word, may it penetrate into our hearts. In your glorious name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, we will dance through Genesis and the story of Jacob, but we will begin uh, around chapter 27 of Genesis. Today, uh, we continue our series called, uh, which is hopefully uh, everybody realises as we've finished our Exodus series, uh, that everybody will realise just like Israel, God has a place and a, and a land that is prepared for every person. Every, everybody here has a calling uh, and that God would like to bring us into and it's not an overnight process and so as we look at the lives of some of the people in the Bible, we're going to see how, how they stewarded that middle period between salvation and when God brought them into their calling. Anybody here ever remember the, the movie Goodwill Hunting? Great movie, most people have seen it. I won't use the character names, I'll use the real names, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Most people will know uh, them. But uh, there's a certain scene, uh, most people will know that Matt Damon is, is some kind of a savant. He has all of these abilities. Uh, he's kind of, he, was, he was nearly as good as maths as I was when, when I was in school. Uh, <laughs> at least for the two years I went to school, Robin, you'd be pleased to know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the teacher said, look, this isn't working out, you should leave. Okay, no worries, I'll leave. But uh, there's a certain scene where uh, they've, they've discovered his talent. Uh, a professor has discovered his talent and uh, they've tried to work with him because they want to uh, understand and learn from him. And, and as the... As it progresses, he's, he's a knock-around kind of guy that's wasting his gift. He's working on construction sites with, with all of his mates. But there's a particular scene where after some time in the movie, he's on the construction site. And the character, Ben Affleck, turns to him and says, you know, he says, with all of my abilities, the best I can hope for is to work construction for the rest of my life. But he turns to him and he says, if you're here in 10 years, he says, I'm going to knock you out. He says, because you have a gift, you have something inside of you. you, you were made for more than this. So if we're still having this conversation in 10 years, he says, I'm going to knock you out. Now, as your pastor, <laughs> I would never think After two years in school, of working construction, but... <laughs> uh, but can I say my heart this morning, if we're still here in 10 years having the same conversations, what we learn from Israel is that a generation perished in the wilderness because they didn't get it. And today as we journey on with Jacob, I pray that God will help us to understand elements of our own journey because we're all on the same journey. Where uh, this, this Christian life is a journey that we're all on. What does that journey look like? How can I steward uh, that journey? Uh, let's begin with Jacob. For those who don't know, Jacob was a twin, but Jacob was the youngest of the twins. His older brother was born first, Esau. And... Uh, 
Jacob uh, should never have inherited the blessing. You see, uh, everything always went to the oldest son. The most responsibility went to the oldest son, but, but, but also most of the inheritance and the family uh, responsibilities would go to the oldest son. And so Esau, by rights, by birthright, Esau should have been the one that Isaac gave the blessing to. And Isaac thought that he did. You see, the name Jacob means deceiver. And it was by deceit and it was by lying and by cheating that he would get the blessing of God. But later on in scripture, we come across a confronting verse. Uh, You'll find it in the book of Malachi. You'll find it in the book of Romans chapter 9. You'll find a verse that says, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated, or Esau I have rejected and cast aside. You know what? Every time somebody asks me a question about that verse, all of the questions surround Esau. How could God do that? What was wrong with Esau? How did God... Does that mean that God mean, just picks some people to cast them aside? Does, what does, and we're all asking the wrong questions about the wrong person. A uh, little bit of backstory and digression about Esau. Here's what we know about Esau. Esau sold his birthright for a pot of stew. Uh, before the blessing is passed to Jacob, he goes and marries a Hittite woman and it says that he causes much angst for Rebecca and Isaac. Who walked away from who when we look at the... Who rejected who when we look at the Esau story? But also what we're not told, we're never told the eternal fate of Esau, and so we shouldn't assume. Some people say, well, Esau was cast into eternal separation, but that's not what we're told. We're not told any of that. In fact, there seems to be a huge shift in his heart. But here's the question we should be asking. Not how did God possibly cast or reject Esau. We should be saying, how on earth could God love Jacob? How could you love Jacob? It's because of how awesome and how glorious and how gracious God is. And here's the confronting reality that Jacob brings home to every one of us in this room. We're all Jacob. None of us deserve God's grace. None of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve God to treat us with favour. But God decides and chooses to lavish his love and his favour on us. We're all Jacobs. We may not have a hairy twin brother. Uh, My boys do. One of them's a hairy twin brother. But but (laughs) smelly too, you'd be pleased to know. But, (laughs) But if we could look at salvation like a coin... And on one side of that coin is God's awesome sovereignty. And on the other side of that coin is man's responsibility. If you were looking at that coin from the human responsibility side, you would see a process of repentance and surrender and trust. And that's what we see in the lives of Jacob eventually. That's what we see in the lives of Abraham. What do we see from his side? We see that he is called to repent and to and to turn away and to leave everything that's comfortable. And, and, he, and he is called to surrender to God and he is called to trust him. And if you were to be able to look at the same process from God's side, you would see a conquest. You would see an almighty God that has conquered the heart of a man. Think of your heart for a moment like a foreign land that you inhabit 
and an invading army. When an invading army presses upon a foreign land, they break across the borders and then they seek to encapsulate and conquer the whole land. That's what God does with our hearts. He crosses the border and the boundary of our hearts and that's what he's done with Jacob. But you see, Jacob begins by uh, taking the blessing. He, he, God to Jacob is all about the blessing. It's not about a person, but it's, it's about how do I get the blessing? How do I get the favour? And, and, and chapter 27, verse 26, it says, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. Uh, to my three boys, never do this. <laughs> Come near me and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments. You can smell my boys from... A lot, and blessed him and said... And so Isaac... Isaac passes on the blessing to Jacob. Jacob dresses up in uh, animal clothes so he has the smell of Esau because Isaac's eyes have grown dim and he steals the blessing. But that causes problems, right? Uh, He comes into a covenant relationship with God, a covenant that God had made with Abram, then Abraham, uh, a covenant that Abraham passed on to Isaac is now passed on to Jacob and Esau misses out. Esau wants to kill Jacob. We must grab that truth before we go too much further. Esau is infuriated. He pleads with tears, it says, to get his blessing back. But he's denied. And uh, Rebekah and Isaac both say to Jacob, you need to get out of here. You need to go to a place called Haran. And for when we get to Abraham, you'll, you'll see the significance of Haran. But you need to go to Haran. You need to go to our relatives. And you need to stay there until you get word that Esau no longer wants to kill you. But something profound happens on the way. Uh, If you're journeying with me through the journey with Jacob, you you might come to uh, chapter, uh, chapter 28, towards the end of chapter 28. Where do we find Jacob? We find Jacob en route to Haran. And here we have a Jacob who was alone. Please remember this. Uh, Jacob was alone. Jacob was exposed. Jacob is living in a whole lot of uncertainty. And we're going to take this for granted. When we read about Abraham leaving his family, when we read about Jacob being chucked out and, and having to go, what we probably miss is just how dangerous this was for these guys. Uh, You see, today uh, we live in Australia and we have civil rights here in Australia as a citizen of Australia. Even if you come from all the way over from Tasmania, you still get citizens' rights here in Australia. It's it's amazing to to think that that happens. But, but, you know, uh, in patriarch times, your civil rights were tied up to your family. And you could only make an appeal to the king if you had family in that land. Otherwise, people could do to you as they pleased. So when, just to remember this in future, when God says to Abram, leave your family, leave your kindred, leave your land and go to another place, that was huge for Abraham and it's huge for Jacob and he finds himself alone, he finds himself in a desolate place, but it's not void of God. 
something profound happens to Jacob that, that often may even mirror our own lives. Uh, if you've turned to chapter 28, let's, let's read a few verses. Starting in verse 13, and behold, the Lord stood above it. Now, we've just read about Jacob's ladder. Jacob finds himself at Bethel. So desolate and so zapped of resources, he hasn't even got a coat to put under his head for a pillow. He takes a stone for a pillow. That's, where, that's how to know when you've left quick, right? You've got a stone for a pillow. And he, he has a dream, which is how God communicates. And, and in that dream, he sees a ladder and angels ascending and descending on the ladder. A profound dream and God is standing at the top of the ladder and here's what God has to say and behold the Lord stood above it and said I am the Lord the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac what's God saying I am the God that made a covenant with Abraham I am Abraham's God I am Isaac's God and in a very short period of time he's going to become Jacob's God Now let's have a listen to what God has to say. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Here's the promise. Where you are and where your head is lying right now, I'm going to bring you back here, Jacob. Let's read it. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Uh, Can I just press the pause button for a moment? God has a place that he wants to bring every one of us. He has a calling that he wants to bring everyone in this room into for one purpose, that you could be a blessing to the nations. God wants to bless people through you. God wants to use you to grow other people. God is going to create a message out of your mess. Uh, We covered that last week with Joseph. Nothing is lost. Everything is redeemable. What we saw with Joseph was when Joseph was in the pit and in prison, he was right where God wanted him. Verse 14, uh, behold, here's the promise. I am with you and will keep you. He promises his presence And he promises his providence. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back. You're not ready to stay here yet, Jacob. I'm showing you where I want to bring you, but you have to, we have to do a bit of work first, Jacob. Uh, To speak in Tasmanian terms, the car's not ready for the road yet. There's a little bit of panel beating that's got to happen along the way. Ever felt like God's got you in the body shop, John? Doing a bit of panel beating? God's got a big hammer. I am with you, I'll keep you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land for I will not leave you. I love this until I've done what I've promised. You know what? Later on we're going to have a look at Jonah, but even while we're looking at Jacob, what we see here is from God's side, Jacob is worth the effort. I'm not going to leave you until I've done what I've promised. I'm not going to give up on you, Jacob. I'm not going to give up on the covenant. I'm not going to give up on the promises. I'm not going to give up on everything I promised to Abraham and Isaac. I'm going to panel beat you, Jacob. Until you're ready for the road. And I I don't know where anybody, anybody that's read the story of Jonah, how many have got halfway through the book of Jonah and said, God, why didn't you just find someone else? Why chase some guy in a boat? Why stick him inside a fish? Because Jonah was worth it. And Jacob's worth it. And you're worth it. That's the message of Jacob to everybody in this room. You're worth it. You are worth God's time. 
you were worth Jesus walking up that hill. Everybody in this room is worth the panel shop. You're welcome. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven, and he names that place Bethel. But something profound has taken part and taken place in Jacob's life. If you come down to verse 21, it says, uh, verse 20, excuse me, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. He's no longer just the God of Abraham and Isaac. He's Jacob's God. Something has happened on the inside. Something, it's not just a God. He's not just the God. He's not a set of ideas and beliefs. He's, he's not a, he's not just merely a prophet or, or anything. He's not just a great place to never, it's not a means by getting the blessing anymore. You're my God. I remember, uh, early on in my, Christian walk. Uh, God crossed the borders of my heart at the Salvation Army. And uh, I love the Salvation Army. I love the work that they do. Uh, and I am thankful to the Salvation Army. It was because my foster mum was there that God crossed the borders of my heart and invaded my heart. Uh, listen, I put up the white flags. I invited him in. God never kicks down the doors. But can I tell you that God invaded my heart? And uh, I was young and stupid. And most people are going, well, you're not so young anymore. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I thought I knew everything. But you know what? I was soon to realise that God was a concept to me. Yes, I, I admit, yes, I agreed with the gospel. Yes, I knew that I was a sinner in need of grace. But there was a moment in my life where God went from being a God or the God to being my God. Yeah. And that moment for me was, uh, I had no idea what to expect. Uh, I, I didn't swing in church circles when I was young. I was far removed from the church scene. And, and they said, look, there's this guy coming from New Zealand. Uh, how many people say red flag straight away? There's this guy coming from New Zealand. Uh, and they say, uh, he said, his name was Bill Sabritsky. Many people here have heard Bill Sabritsky. Now, uh, I had no expectations. I didn't know what to expect. I just thought I was going to another church service. I thought I was going to another church service and all I knew is I needed to pump a few smokes into me before I got into the service because it was going to go for a little while, Mike. So I had to deal with a few things first. But do you know, uh, I could not tell you what, that message, what the message he spoke was. I couldn't tell you one word. I couldn't tell you how long that meeting went for. Some people told me it went for two and a half hours. We got to the, about the third or fourth song in worship and I thought I was in another place. I woke up something like two hours later and was just soaked in the presence of God. I walked out of that place. Didn't smoke for a long time. Picked it up again later, but I didn't have a smoke for a long Just completely, God just completely whacked me. I walked out and said, I've met God. The last thing I can remember is Bill Sabritsky saying, uh, God's presence is here. You might smell a fragrance that is indicative of his presence. And can I tell you, I smelt something wonderful that I, I've never smelt before. And I woke up two hours later. Do you know nobody laid their hands on me? I'm not saying we shouldn't do these things. I didn't walk up the front that day. God doesn't need me. Doesn't need, God can whack you right where you're sitting. Yeah, that's right. But there was a transaction that took place in my heart. God had become a reality 
It was like the God that was a million miles away was all of a sudden right here. That's what's happened to Jacob. It transforms his life. For those that know the story of Jacob, uh, Jacob now goes uh, to and he reaches Laban. Now Laban is a, is a distant relative and Laban, we know the story, right? Laban has two daughters. And Leah is the older daughter and Rachel is the younger daughter. And Rachel is the good looking daughter. This is the only way to put it. Rachel's the good looking daughter and Leah's going to be the one that's challenging to marry off. And so uh, Jacob comes and says, you know what? I'll work seven years for you, for Rachel. She must have been... The youngest one, that's all I was going to say. <laughs> I'll, I'll work seven years for you, for Rachel. And, and for those that know the story, he works seven years, and then on the, on the wedding night, the big switcheroo happens. <coughs> you know, the old switcheroo, and in goes Leah. Jacob wakes up, and he runs out. Interesting Laban's answer, by the way. He runs out to Laban, and he says, What have you done? Laban says, I'm going to paraphrase for you, you can read it for yourself. Laban says, listen here champ, where I come from, we don't put the younger before the older. Sounds a little bit like this, it's not customary over here for the younger to be put first. Now that's a punch in the face, Jacob. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. So he says, I'll work another seven years for Rachel, but in that moment... The deceiver got deceived. In that moment, God's got the anvil and the sledgehammer out. We need to knock a few kinks out. He works another seven years for Rachel. In fact, he will be with Laban for 20 years. But amazingly, God tremendously blesses Jacob. He's got Leah, he's got Rachel, he's having children. Uh, that's where the blessing goes, right? But he's having all his success. He's, he's divided the flocks. And you know what? If you could sum up Jacob at Laban's house in one word, it would be the word comfortable. God's blessing me. Everything's going well. I'm tending the sheep. All of Laban's sheep, they're deformed. Mine are going great. Everything's awesome. God. And how many of us would have stayed in Haran? How many of us are in Haran today? How many of us are saying, you know what? Life's pretty good over here in Australia, Pastor. You know what? I've got my wife and 2.4 kids. Mitchell's our point I've got, We've got the house. We've got the cars. I'm doing really well at work. Things are going really well. I'm being promoted. I might even start my own business. Everything's, everything's comfortable. Everything's going well. But Jacob was never called to live in Haran. It's a stepping stone. And there comes a point when if you don't move, God will move you. Let's have a listen. Chapter 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And the reason is, Jacob had come and said, look, we're going to take off. He's making plans to separate and leave anyway. Uh, Jacob knows that God's placed something better on his heart. And so uh, he, he says, you know what, we're going we're gonna to go our own way. And he starts separating the sheep. And he says, you know what, I'll just take all the ugly sheep, the speckled ones. And then it turns out they're all having speckled sheep. So, and so he's getting all the blessing. But what God has done is he's tearing apart the fabric that Jacob's resting on here. 
Jacob, if you're not going to move, I'm going to make sure you move because you've just lost your favour. Listen to this. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favour as before. In other words, God saying, it's time to move. 20 years, it's time to move on. Then the Lord said to Jacob, calls him now, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. It's time to go back to Bethel, Jacob. It's time for you to make that journey back to the place where I met you, to the place where I appeared to you, where you saw that dream, that place where I became your God. It's time for you to come into the calling that I have for you, that I have unveiled for you. Uh, But if you think Jacob's ready, think again. Now we come to the most important part today. Isn't it interesting how anybody ever noticed that when God does sometimes the most blessed and profound work in our lives, that the minute you open your eyes, opposition meets you? Anybody ever noticed that? I thought it was just the weird Tasmanians that had noticed that, but apparently it seems to be all of us. Isn't it interesting how God says it's time for you, Jacob, to go back to Bethel, but before you get there, you have to deal with Esau. The path that Jacob is on is a path that will directly intersect with Esau. It's what I like to call divine dilemmas. Divine dilemmas are when God places you intentionally in a circumstance where there is no possible way out unless God does something miraculous. And so Jacob is on his way to Bethel and Jacob is exposed and Esau, while he's been away for the 20 years or so, Esau's done pretty well for himself as well. In fact, he has exceeded what Jacob has. Let's pick up the story. Chapter 32. uh, One thing I want to know, here's how to know when you're in God's calling. God's power and God's resources are always in the call that he has on your life. Sounds a little bit like this. Uh, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. He's on his way, he's walking into the calling of God and the angels of God met him and when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. He's out, he's exposed, he's left Laban, God's dealt with Laban, they've left on good terms and now he's out and exposed and he meets God. Uh, I was reminded when I was meditating on this passage, I was reminded of a story. Uh, Anybody ever heard of John G. Patton? Some people have. John G. Patton was God's missionary to the New Hebrides, or what we know today as Vanuatu. And when he was sent to Vanuatu, they said, everyone that's gone before you, they've eaten. And they had. Nice people. Hospitality over there is different. <laughs> and so John G. Patton and his wife go to the New... Believe that God, we believe God has called us to the New Hebrides. Everybody was telling them no. It's interesting. When they get to the New Hebrides, they set up camp and they're not there for a long... One night, the chief and all of the villagers intend to come up and kill John G. Patton and his wife. John G. Patton learns of their plan and so him and his wife get on their knees and start praying. They pray all night. And when they get up in the morning, the attackers have gone. Twelve months later... John G. Patton was a very smart evangelist. He realised, you know what, if you can win the chief, you'll get the tribe. So he converts the chief. Twelve months later, the chief is converted and the chief says, listen, I've got a question for you. That night we came up to kill you. Who were those big, burly men standing around your camp with shining garments? 
angels. God's power and God's resources are always in the core. If God's called you, you're going to be okay, Jacob. You're going to be okay. And so uh, Jacob went on his way. But Jacob, Jacob needs to learn something here that maybe we all need to learn as well. Uh, because, you see, Jacob is used to obtaining God's blessing by swindling. He's, he, he manufactures his own calling. Uh, ever noticed a couple of things? Uh, ever noticed anybody got that one friend in your life that has an amazing calling on your life? Anybody got one of those friends? Okay, just me? No, it's all right. Uh, anybody got that family member that's got a great calling on your life? Well, uh, if you hang around in church long enough, you'll find some people who've got a great calling on your life. But what we find with Jacob is uh, he is used to setting things up and he is used to working things out on his own. That, that's how I got the blessing. I got the blessing by being a, a deceitful... God let him get the blessing, by the way. Uh, God, I got the blessing in my own way and nothing's changed. He knows he's heading headlong into uh, meeting Esau. So what does he do? Let's read it. Verse 3, And Jacob sent messages before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, Thus says your servant. <whistles> Humbling himself. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favour in your sight. And here's what Jacob does. Knowing he's going to meet Esau, he divides the camp. You know, if Esau overtakes us and attacks us, then, then maybe he'll just wipe out one camp and the rest can take off. And he divides the camp, he prepares gifts, he sends gifts over to Esau. He's trying to do everything in his own power. And there comes a point in all of our lives when we have to let go and let God. Esau, uh, Jacob is at that point right now. Jacob is at the point when he needs to let go and let God. God is shaking him. Here's what Jacob prays. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of the deeds of steadfast love. See, something's changed in Jacob. I'm not worthy of the deeds of steadfast love. I'm not worthy that you saved me. I'm not worthy that you appeared to me. I'm not worthy that you have kept me and preserved me. Thank God for his grace and faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. I'm not worthy. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother and this morning we're working our way very quickly to the conquest as we approach the end of chapter 32 I want to make a couple of things clear the, the level of I'm going to use some Pentecostal words this morning you'll have to forgive me the level of anointing the level of God's presence that is in your life is directly proportional to the victory God has over your heart. It's directly proportional to the amount of towns that you have allowed him to invade. Or if you like to think of your life as a house, have you still got some rooms that you're not letting God into? God will be Lord of all or he will not be Lord at all. 
It's a journey, yes. It's a process, yes. But God comes to us to conquer our hearts. And he must have all of our hearts. Before you get to Bethel, Jacob, there's a few things we need to sort out. Let's read the passage. Now, most people's Bibles will say that uh, Jacob wrestles with God. That is incorrect. Jacob doesn't wrestle with God. We're going to read that a man comes to wrestle with Jacob. Let's read. Chapter 32. Uh, What brings us to verse 22? Jacob, in his mad flurry, he's, he's put everybody across the river and he's all alone. God does his deepest work in our hearts when we are all alone. He's, he's, he's separate from everyone else. He knows that meeting Esau is imminent. He hasn't met Esau yet. And there's a wonderful gospel principle uh, that we find here concerning Esau. Uh, for those that have read the book of Philemon, uh, the book of Philemon is actually all about a slave called Onesimus. And Onesimus is Philemon's slave and he runs away. And before he goes, he takes a handful of very valuable items. But here's the message that Onesimus would tell us. If Onesimus was here today, he would stand up the front and say, you cannot outrun God because he runs away from Philemon straight into the arms of Paul. And while he's with Paul, he's converted. The first thing Paul says when he's converted, you've got to go back to Philemon and deal with this whole running away thing. So he sends a letter to Philemon and says, I'm sending an Esmus. And there are Philemons in our lives and there are Esau's in our lives that we are not going to move forward until we get rid of them. Esau is not always a person. It can be an attitude. It can be a fear. It can be an anxiety. It can be an idol. The same night, verse 22, he arose, he took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had and Jacob was left alone. Jacob was left alone and here it is. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. We see a man comes to wrestle. See, Jacob's worth the wrestle. Uh, Israel actually means, uh, the word Israel actually means strives with God. Interesting. Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. Jacob, from this point, will walk with a limp for the rest of his life. And some of us in our wrestlings with God are left with a limp. It's a, it's a reminder. Every step Jacob takes is a reminder. God has conquered me. God could have ended this any time he wanted to. That's what God wants Jacob to know. Jacob, to know. Jacob finally finds himself in the place where he should be, not wrestling with God, but holding on to God with all that he has. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. God's going to ask Jacob a question. And he said to him, what is your name? Now we read that and think, well, that's just an ordinary kind of a question. But why would God need to know that? He already knows the answer to that. He wants Jacob to say, I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. 
I'm used to... I'm used to making my own way. I'm used to working behind the scenes. I'll, I'll, I'll construct my own calling. I'll do things, you know, I'm, I'll deal with Esau in my own way. I'll send him gifts. I'm the deceiver. I'm the cheater. I'm the one that, that swindled. The, I kind of make my own way in life. Not anymore. Uh, when God asked Jacob the question, what is your name? He is holding the mirror up to Jacob and asking, who are you? Uh, when God asks us a question, he's not looking for information. I've said this many times. When God comes to Adam in the garden and says, where are you? It's not like he lost him and put him somewhere. Where do I put that guy? That's not what God is saying. God wants Adam to know where he is. Where are you, Adam? Uh, I, I was hiding in the bushes. Why? What are you doing in the bushes, Adam? What's changed? You can spend your Christian life hiding in the bushes. Jacob, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, I am Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. He would be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God. Jacob realised, I haven't been wrestling with man at all. We, we don't wrestle. Our fight, our wrestle is not against each other. We wrestle so often. With God. How, how long do we wrestle with God? I want things my way. Do you know the person that has that great calling on your life is quite often us. We have our own great calling. We, I, 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 this, is, this is the calling that I would like and, and, and I'm going to put all of this together. And, uh, but God would come to us to wrestle that out of us. And in a moment, Jacob is conquered. Jacob is defeated. And for those that were here a couple of weeks ago, Jacob shows us what we should be doing next. He still makes mistakes. You know, from this point onwards, Jacob will be referred to as Jacob twice as many times as he is Israel. There's still a bit of the wily old fox in there that God's got to beat out over time. How many? How many? Is that not all of our own story? Is it, do we ever really leave the body shop? Don't we go out into the world and get dinged up a little bit, and we're going to come back in and allow Jesus to do a little bit of panel? Don't don't we come back and forth from the panel shop? And uh, what happens next is God has told Jacob to go to Bethel, but he goes to Shechem, and he settles at Shechem. And it's at Shechem where the whole Dinah thing happens. His daughter Dinah is, is taken advantage of by uh, the prince or the son of the neighbouring king. And, and had Jacob done what God told him to do, it wouldn't have happened. And Jacob says to his sons, because his sons take revenge, he says, you've made me stink amongst the inhabitants of the land. In other words, uh, I'm a problem to everybody here. We've, we've got to go. 
This is what Jacob does, chapter 35. God said to Jacob, we, we touched on this a couple of weeks ago. He says, arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. You're not visiting anymore, Jacob. You're not passing through anymore, Jacob. You know, you know that place where my presence is? Uh, you're not passing through anymore. You're going to dwell there. Uh, make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away your foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Uh, can, can I just encourage everybody here? Often we hear the word revival and everybody's praying for revival. Keep praying for revival. When we get to Jonah, we're going to cover the greatest revival in history where everybody, including the cats, repented. Uh, but if you're praying for revival... What Jacob's doing here is personal revival. This is, it's time to clean out the closet. We're going up to Bethel. We're going to go up to the place of the presence of God. But before we go there, there's some stuff we've got to bury. Uh, so he says, take, take all your foreign gods. Isn't it interesting that they've been travelling with these foreign gods all the time? God confronts it now. You know, you're not coming any further until you deal with these things. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods, and when he comes into, when he comes into Bethel, uh, he protects him with a terror. And God appears to Jacob again, and uh, the term "be fruitful and multiply" is probably not conducive exactly to what you think it means. It really means take hold of everything that God has given you and be blessed. That's what the term means: to live in the fullness of God's blessing. Friends, what do we learn from the story of Jacob? What does, what does Jacob teach us today? Jacob teaches us that uh, life is a journey, right? That following Christ is a journey and there are, there are moments and seasons in our lives where God comes to deal with the Esau's in our lives. God is ever wanting to move us forward. God is ever wanting to bring us into the fullness of what he has called us into and prepared us for. But there are moments in our lives when we have to deal with the Esau's in our lives and there are moments when God will wrestle with us. Far too often... We settle in Haran. Far too often, we think we can deal with the Esau's in our lives in our own power. It's God's work. And too many times we think, you know what? I'll go up to Bethel and take all my foreign gods with me, and you can't go up there until you bury some stuff under the tree. And if we had a look at every step and every season of Jacob, how many of us know, hang on a second, not only have I been around that wheel once, God is actually continuously taking me around that wheel. There are moments when God appears to me just like Bethel, right? There are seasons in my life when, when God strips stuff away from me like the Esau's, right? And there are moments in my life when God calls me to move into greater revelations and greater calling and I have to leave some stuff behind. Sadly, today, so many people think we can have all of God and all of our idols 
as well. The record of scripture says otherwise. This morning, as we bring this to a close this morning, I want to ask you, are you wrestling with God? Uh, Are you at Shechem when God's called you to Bethel? Are you holding back? Are you half in? I've learned something. Whenever me or my family go driving anywhere, I drive. But I've learned something with God, that whenever I go somewhere with God, he drives. Or we don't go anywhere. Who's in the driver's seat? Father, this morning, I pray a very dangerous prayer for all of us in this room. And that prayer is, please, Lord, conquer all of the territory of our hearts. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be free in this place to do his work in his way, in his timing. But may you find surrendered and open hearts, Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you that every one of us in this room, in your eyes, is worth the wrestle. Thank you, Father, that you have determined not to leave us at Haran or Shechem, but that, Lord, you will bring us all back to Bethel. Father, we thank you in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.